Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Molo Sambonani, hello how's it? Welcome to another installment. Of the IRR show, as I hear myself full of feedback, I hope that's not being <laughs> transmitted to you guys in the um, in in the listenership world. Guys, welcome back to another wonderful show. Uh, Sarah, good day, good morning. How are you, how are you doing? Hello, hello. I'm in splendid isolation. Yes, indeed. I, I feel like um, you know, <laughs> as as we head into day twelve of the lockdown, yeah. you know, all these spicy memes on social media. You know, on the 12th day of lockdown, my government said to me, um, <laughs> um, guys, welcome to another installment. There's no, there no partridge in the pear tree. <laughs> guys, welcome to another episode of the IRR show. Before we go to our first break, just a quick reminder of how the show is structured and what we're going to be chatting about today. Um, guys, you know, we're going to be looking at the news that was, you know, what happened in the week that um, got your interest, uh, made headlines, etc., etc. Um, and our main guest today is a very interesting chap, someone I think you had last week. Um, uh, Mr. Uh, Herman Pretorius. Herman Pretorius, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, it must be the lockdown blues. Um, but we have Mr. Herman Pretorius, who's going to be talking to us about some of the provisions um, and the research they put out um, in responding to this COVID-19. Um, we'll have a little more detail around that after the break. But, Sarah, before we go to the break, um, just a quick reminder to the listeners, what was on the show last week? Okay, we were talking about the uh, Friends in Need, which is uh, the in, in Institute's big uh, policy document in which we assess the situation of, of, of COVID from every possible angle. And then we make pr- proposals and suggestions as to how they should be dealt with. And, uh, last week we dealt with issues of healthcare. Um, and, oh, sorry, I suddenly forgotten the, the second issue. But the, the, the mm. point, what we're going to now deal with is social stability and the financial system. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Last week we dealt with the, the economic uh, situation as well. But it's, uh, it's interesting, particularly now that we're into the, um, into the lockdown, and we can see to what extent things we've said would happen or should happen or shouldn't happen have or should hadn't have haven't happened. So okay. it, it, it puts a, a different spin to the near theoretical we were looking at last week, but we were, as far as I can see, looking through it, largely correct. Mm, absolutely. Sorry, we're going to have that conversation with our main guest today after 20 minutes past nine. Um, and after this break, we'll talk to you about what made the news this week. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Guys, welcome back to the IRR show with me, Big Daddy Liberty and Sara Gunn. Sara, it has been a, a, a bit of a bumper week, funny enough, in terms of the news cycle. Um, and I'm not just talking about South Africa, but really mm. across the world. But let's, let's begin here at home. Mm. Um, and I don't know if I should call it a funny story. Um, it's not really funny. Um, but in Langa, Cape Town, a mm. viral video goes out of um, residents in that part of the world storming a, mm. a, a local liquor shop, um, perhaps with some sort of social commentator saying, 
this was slightly inevitable when you banned things like liquor and and, uh, and cigarettes, no? Um, it is. It, it's part of what I think is the sort of uh, power-hungry idiocy of uh, Becketele, our police minister, um, because he banned the purchase of alcohol, which most other countries are not, and he banned the purchase of cigarettes. And mm. obviously he's an abstemious man of high principle and, and habits because – you know, it, it, particularly in the case of, of cigarettes, one's dealing with an addiction. You cannot just pull everybody off off cigarettes. Um, mm. You're likely to have more unrest than anything else. Um, he also made the uh, and, and the, the, the the alcohol thing was bound to start causing problems because people have nothing to do. They're sitting for 21 days. They are supposed to be sitting in in. Certainly not checks you can inhabit for 24 hours a day. Mm. And they are being taken to task for sitting outside their shacks. The Mm. relationship between the police and and the army and residents, particularly in 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 non-suburban areas, is 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 deteriorating. And uh, this is neither to be unexpected nor nor as I say, it does not bode well for uh, what appears to be a, a, a power grab on the part of Kele, who has said that he thinks these restrictions on alcohol should uh, flow on to flow out of the uh, lockdown period. Now, certainly, it would probably solve a whole lot of problems, but uh, good luck to him. Uh, mm. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, of choice. And beyond that, you know, I, I think one of the things we're forgetting is that. You know, we're still talking about adults. You know, mm. we should be very wary as citizens of having a government, even in a moment of crisis, treat grown adults uh, like children to suggest mm. that, you know, uh, because you can't, uh, you know, because we believe that's the we being the state, that you can't be responsible by and large with something which you have on, any, on, on an everyday basis anyway. In other words, mm. cigarettes and, and alcohol that in moments of crisis will take this away. I'm a little wary of that sort of approach to things. Again, this is not me discounting that there is abuse. There sure. is alcohol abuse in many communities across the country, but surely a, a full lockdown ban of it like this is just not the way to go. Not only is it not the way to go, but it's actually unenforceable to to a large extent. I mean, yes. to show the gentleman's level of the gentleman's uh, IQ, he's attributed the huge dramatic fall in, in in crime to alcohol. Now, I wouldn't disagree that alcohol plays a role in in much crime, but crikey, no one it can go out and commit a crime because they risk, mm. run the risk of breaching the lockdown oh, no. and being arrested uh, for that. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Um, speaking about arrests uh, and the like, it does seem, and maybe you guys had this conversation in last week's show, but there, there is a growing concern as to the, uh, the Skorpiskit and Donner tactics mm-hmm. of the South African police and the soldiers, particularly as you mentioned, in the more poorer communities mm-hmm. across the country, um, and the potential resentment that may actually begin to build. Mm-hmm. Um, we were having this conversation offline and I was saying, you know, not to be seen as being critical. Of course, you know, no one's taking the COVID-19 crisis uh, lightly. It's absolutely serious, but there seems to be a major problem developing, um, especially in poorer communities around Mm. the practicality of locking down people Mm. in, you know, as you said, you know, is it reasonable to expect a family of four or six who live in a three by three shack 
to stay in there for 24 hours a day. It seems as though that externality is playing out uh, in, in society. I think I think to, I think the government has shown two two unusual extraordinary factors. Can I put it that way? The one is that um, they've designed their lockdown with Europe and the suburbs in mind. So mm. they they they. And what's really fascinating about that is that most of us would have seen, would have assumed that from the start you could not lock down, um, shack, shack areas mm. the same way you lock down suburbs. Mm. Um, but the, what seems to happen is that politicians have become so far removed from their roots, if I can put it that way, mm. that they don't mm. seem to have anticipated that environment like this, you cannot have a perfect COVID lockdown. The best mm. you can probably do is to some extent, to seal off uh, a, a, the wider areas so that people don't leave that easily. But the other problem is, of course, the fact that shops, food shops may open and, uh, and sell food, but not sponsor shops. Mm. Now, the, the sponsor shops mm-hmm. are in the environment and the food shops are some distance, so then you get to travel, and that's another story altogether. Mm. Absolutely. And as I quickly just move uh, it to some of the international news that's made headlines, Perhaps top of mind at the moment is, you know, the Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, you know, being moved to ICU, mm. um, you know, as someone who's, who's suffering from COVID. Mm. Implications for, for, uh, uh, the English on, on this one? It, it, it's, it's very interesting because I just looked at, when you read the report and I looked at some of the comments. Now obviously, um, I can't tell what his uh, detractors and his opponents might be saying, but there seem to be even comments from such detractors that sort of, uh, oh no, I'll pray for you, I hope you get well. And it seems genuinely felt. I, I think the feeling is that this is a crisis that it, it, kind of anyone can be, should be in charge of it, it's Boris. And, mm. and so he's come to, he's come to mean that on a broader scale. Um, so I, I, I think there's a, there's a sort of soberness and a real concern about the fact that he has got this ill. Mm. And also does exemplify the fact that, guys, anybody can get this virus. It is not to be trifled with. It shouldn't be taken lightly, uh, especially for South Africans who, you know, we're seeing all these sort of viral, um, you know, videos of, <laughs> of people sort of flouting, you know, the, 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 the social distancing, uh, mm. Uh, request, you know, and again, I'm not saying we should all go out and sort of tattletale on each other, but I mean, it does bring home that the, the need for us to take personal responsibility for mm-hmm. our own health, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very much so. The problem is you, you caught between the, uh, you know, the, the people being logical and taking care of their own health and, and doing what uh, what is recommended to be done on the one hand, and you then got that slightly nasty social element where sort of your neighbours are sort of spying on you and reporting you uh, if you if you don't, uh, um, um, mm. you, you know, come, you know, do what is uh, what yeah. is required of you. And there, there's something a little bit ugly in that. It's understandable, but only up to a point. And then, of course, there's the fact that the the government doesn't trust you at all, so you can't go for a walk and you can't <laughs> walk for a dog and you can't go for a run. So it's it's as time wears on, patience is likely to wear a little thin. Absolutely. Look, after the break, uh, we're going to be speaking to our guest and we're going to be delving into some of these social issues um, and the, the broader implications of them in greater detail. After the break, we chat to Mr. Herman Pretorius, who's the Deputy uh, Head of Policy at the IRR. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life.
Okay, it's a bit like that when you being remote. Um, Herman, just to recap, last week we dealt with we we basically been looking for these over these last two weeks at the IRR's huge um, analysis and policy document, Friends in Need, which is which was brought out at the beginning of the pandemic uh, lockdown to consider issues, societal and political and financial issues, what are we likely to be faced with, and we are making suggestions as to what can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, last week we looked at healthcare and income stability, yes. and today we want to look at social stability and financial stability. Yes. Now, what's interesting now at looking at something like social stability is we are now 10, 11 days into the lockdown, and some of the social stability we are seeing um, take place in front of us, and some of it is not so stable. Mm. Um, and we say at the beginning of this chapter that uh, stability will largely be uh, influenced by the effectiveness of measures capable of sustaining social stability. Mm. The one question I want to ask you, given the fact of how many parts of our society live in shacklands, etc., is that the the, the um, lockdown process that have been applied, it seems to be applied very much with suburbs in mind, not mm. with not with uh, shack areas where people live in cramped conditions and in shacks that cannot be inhabited for 24 hours a day. Mm. It's. I, I think that's a very important point to start, and I think we started with it last week as well. Is uh, we must the the the, the job of a of a think tank of a policy recommendation uh, generating organization isn't to look at the world how it should be. It is to look at the world how it is and then plot a way to how it should be. And the unfortunate reality of South Africa is that because of a hundred years of government failure, we sit with um, vast inequalities. Um, and these inequalities manifest, I think, in this time so clearly in terms of, I think, the term self-isolation, quarantine. Mm. If the medical consensus holds worldwide that self-isolation and isolationary measures are how we could so, you know, flatten the curve, then South Africa is in for a very difficult ride because the middle classes, uh, black and white, the black middle class now being numerically larger than the white middle class, these people can, uh, people very much like myself, can self-isolate. I can work from home, uh, keep on earning my income. But the reality, painful reality for millions of South Africans is that is just not feasible. It's like you say, someone cannot spend 24 hours a day in a shack if the nearest toilet is a kilometer away and publicly shared. So we are faced with some great challenges where we must be creative and solution oriented to make sure that we're not trying to save middle class South Africa. We're mm. trying to save the whole South Africa. And the government, and that's, this is, this is why I'm a classic liberal and not a libertarian, is I think while the government has been responsible for many of the mistakes that have caused these people to now be incredibly vulnerable, it is also now up to a collaboration between the citizenry and the state to make mm. sure that necessary steps can be taken. And in terms of social stability, I mean, that goes from everything from making sure kids keep on receiving an education mm. right through 
to having law and order um, maintained in streets that have not known law and order for many, many years. Can I, can I come to you on the education issue? Um, because the report notes that we, we have nearly 13 million children in schooling. Um, and one of the, and the, the variety, there are a variety of options, two of which has come to mind, which we have suggested is online learning and uh, using the broadcaster for, for this, for getting to, to schools. The problem is, of course, is by virtue of that huge um, divide is Less than 5,000 schools have internet connectivity. Uh, the 23,000 schools, you know, public schools altogether, um, and uh, and access to computers and access to internet and even access to to smartphones, which are which are the means by which children would be taught. So the, the the real concern is that there will be a lot of children, particularly in, in rural areas. I think the numbers are over six million, who mm-hmm. are likely to in this period or any period when where schooling has to be remote to receive probably no schooling at all. That is definitely the the, the big risk and the big fear. And in this regard, um, it it might it might uh, you know be useful to take a page from the book of history and look at what has worked in the past. Now, mm. um, my my uh, father grew up uh, relatively. Poor, um, definitely not middle class. Uh, although I think um, my his, his his family did you know uh, progress, and my 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 father and his sisters were the first in their family to to go to university. Mm. But they've repeatedly told me that as kids they would spend their evenings listening to encyclopedic programs mm. on radio on the state broadcasting radio. And they would take notes and they would order, you know, magazines or, or pamphlets. But the thing is that there was a learning capacity harnessed by the public broadcaster. And that is definitely something we can do again. Mm. Everyone might not have access to um, online resources, but a vast, vast, vast majority of South Africans have access to television and radio. And we shouldn't underestimate the critical role that these things can now play. For a, for a long while, I've been asking myself, what the, what is the point of the SABC yes. broadcasting? But here is now, it. we have a point. We have the capacity to reach millions of kids, to, to empower them. It's not ideal, but if we can have uh, the, the, what's it? William Smith from the Liberty Life Learning Channel, um, mm. recreating many of my childhood days spent staring mm. at algebra I didn't understand. Um, if we could harness the creativeness of our uh, uh, ability to seek solutions, but we can also understand what we have to work with, even if it is limited, we can make sure that through e-learning, through use of television, through use of radio. Kids can continue learning, and that's vital. Okay, let, let me go into the uh, what would be for the final aspect under um, uh, under this heading, um, because uh, because obviously we've got to get to the financial aspect, and that is the recommendations regarding how the police deal with things and how they are equipped. And the one recommendation says making riot response equipment available. Now, um, that has never been a strength. Um, also, making the 
police training the police to be riot responsive has also not been uh, our, 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 our forte. Mm-hmm. And the second aspect is the fact that there should be much more cooperation between the vast private security industry and the police. And I, I'm not, I mean, the private security industry is certainly doing what it does and it's doing it generally very well, but I don't see that, uh, that linkage. Yes, no, that's, that's, that's definitely part of the problem. And, and again, this is an opportunity for collaboration rather than state dominance. Mm. We have, we sit in a situation where it, where for every one policeman or police uh, uh, officer, we have four or five private security guards in this country. That is in and of itself an incredible indictment mm. of the state regarding how the citizens think they can be mm. kept safe. Mm. Mm. So that being the case, that being the facts, whether it should be that way or shouldn't, we have to face reality that those are the facts on the ground. Mm. The question is, now what do we do? Mm. I don't think anyone could argue that the private security industry of South Africa, as vast as it is, has the mandate to, in a constitutional democracy, mm. Mm. police the streets. Mm. But that's not all that needs to be done. Places mm. need to be kept safe. Hospitals mm. need to be kept safe. Power, water, these infrastructure. Mm. And there, the private mm. security industry can make such a contribution if the state is willing to swallow its ideology, step into the role of client and say, now is the time to get the skills we need where we need them. That would free up vast police resources to training in riot control, in community interaction, in uh, you know making sure that the link between police and citizen that has been broken so long can in this time of crisis be rekindled. What we need to do here is free up capacity. And by leaning on the private sector to guard and by leaning Mm. on the police to maintain law and order through the new freed-up capacity, we Mm. can really ensure that level of social stability. Well, I I think their ideology got stuck in their throat. Um, That's the best we can say about it at this stage because Mm. swallowing your ideology is actually fundamental to us coming out of this in a tall, any shape whatsoever. And we have that particularly looking at economic stability, which will be our... Um, our biggest, our biggest uh, um, uh, crisis in the long run, um, yeah. and that is the, the, the fact that you know you're going to come out of this in an environment in where business, some businesses have gone to the wall, some are very reduced. Um, people, people have been on. Um, um, sorry, people have been on. Uh, sort of out of the environment. May people, uh, companies may have had to retrench. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they estimate something like a, a, a lost output of 2.7 trillion, uh, yeah. 2.7 trillion rand. Uh, sorry, 2.7 trillion dollars, um, being the global impact. And our, uh, and global growth is, is, is set to decline as is EU growth. And mm-hmm. China is the only, the only entity presumed will have positive growth of 3%. But even that remains, uh, somewhat unclear. Mm-hmm. Our, our contraction is minus two, minus three, minus more even. Um, 
as things get worse. And, and that very much has to do both with uh, the way that the society has been managed as government governed over the last 10, 12 years and the said ideology. Mm-hmm. It's the budget has to, we're looking apparently, um, Mbaweni wants to relook at the budget and the d- distribution of the budget, but we've already spent, we're already spending an extra unbudgeted 30 billion rand on healthcare. We're yeah. in trouble. Enormously, enormously. And, um, it's, I, I said this last week and I will say it again. Now is the time when you ask yourself the question, your house is burning down. What's the one thing you run in to save? Mm. Will the government now run in to save SAA? Will the government now run in to save ESCOM? Will the government now run in to save 20 cabinet posts? Mm. This, the sad reality is we are entering this crisis on the back of so many crises. We don't have much to work with. Mm. Our challenge is now to understand how can we free up capacity to work with. It is almost a question of what can we stop doing Mm. so that the resources become available, where I think overseas it's massively what can we do to Mm. put, you know, to to Mm. paper over or, or not to paper but to fix and fill mm. the cracks. So what mm. is desperately needed is the ideological hostility to business and the private sector must cease. It mm. must stop. It mm. is no longer acceptable for the state to consider any form of uh, 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 Animosity towards mm. business. Business mm. consists not of the rich, you know, bureaucrats, mm. the fat caricatures with the cigars and the top hats. Business, that's, that's people who are trying to run the bakery down the street, mm. trying to run the uh, uh, hardware store uh, mm. a few kilometers from my flat. That's mm. the business is about trying to get citizens to earn a living by providing services and goods to their community. Mm. Now, that hostility between looking at that as some evil, that must stop. Mm. Mm. I mean, it it strikes me, it it brings a point uh, indirectly that the government is saying that only certain things are necessities that can be sold. The question is, who's to determine what a necessity is for a family or a person? Um, why should hardware stores not be open? You, you're stuck in your house for, th- for three weeks. It's a fantastic time to do repairs. What would be wrong with going to a hardware store any more than going to Woolies? And yep. it's this sort of disconnect that, that, that's, it's, it's, it's uninspired. It's, it's, it certainly lacks a courage and, and it speaks of a, a need to sort of keep a control. And I think one thing that, that, that hasn't been looked at enough and I think will be looked at in depth is mental health. The mental mm. health mm. of people under this lockdown. And I've heard so many anecdotal incidents of people saying, you know, gardening. Gardening is really something, if I have a garden to, to go out and, you know, just, just work a bit with my hands, get them dirty, plant something. Mm. The mm. fact that my grandmother, who has loved gardening her whole life, cannot now in this time of shutdown, at least get some mental release through basic economic activity that will help my grandmother, that will help the state through taxation, that will help the business survive. The fact that those 
petty little regulations mm-hmm. make that impossible is an enormous issue. We mm-hmm. might, in many years to come, like we look back on f- previous forms of petty limitations of civic rights, mm-hmm. we might look at this time wondering why the in the blazes did we actually allow the pettiness to undermine our economic and financial stability. Let's use what resources we have. Let's make sure that the economy can function, that jobs are protected, that government does not look at the private sector as some enemy but as a partner. And then Tito Mbueni, Cyril Ramaphosa, these people who've been announced as pragmatists, they should now make the necessary calls. And if the Eismagashules of this world and the unions if these people can stymie under these circumstances the necessity of regulatory reform, then the ANC won't have its goose cooked. It will have its goose, its goose scorched. I mean, it is just so clear that change needs to happen and it needs to happen now. That's the only way to save the economy. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks, Herman. Um, sorry, Sikhle, uh, um, I think we, we need to uh, just come to an ad break, and I will just pick it up after that. Sikhle um, can tackle you further on the matter, and right now we go to our ad break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This year, many of us will be celebrating Pesach without the physical presence of our families and friends. It's very easy to focus on who is absent, rather than looking at who is always with us. Join Rabbi Levi Abzon from Linkshul tomorrow afternoon at 3 p.m., that's Wednesday at 3 p.m., as he helps us to reframe Pesach as us sitting around God's Seder table. Thanks. Sifle, you wanted to ask Herman something. Yeah, actually was... um I think, you know, just sort of sitting and listening um, to this conversation, one, one thing's becoming ever increasingly clear is that the the state's approach to dealing with COVID-19 hasn't actually necessarily been as collaborative as it, as it perhaps could be, and that it's become a very sort of state-centric, uh, you know, approach, which, you know, the externalities of which were not really or excuse me, the externalities of which, in other words, the unintended consequences of policy action, we're beginning to see, uh, begin to affect people who may have not been a stakeholder in the process. And I think when one reads the, the report that you guys have put out at the IRR, the Friends in Need report, uh, we're discussing the social and the economic elements of it today. You guys make some very important points um, around how you can then re-gear, I suppose, the response to be much more collaborative. Herman, do you mind just taking us through uh, each of those, you know, beginning with the social um, stability uh, points, uh, the, the key recommendations you guys make in terms of saying, how do you bring the whole of society approach to dealing with a, a time like this? Yes, I think um, without straying into the, you know, um, dangerous uh, leather-bound uh, a book of dusty philosophy, This is a question that goes to the very heart of our constitution. What is the role of the state? What is the role of the state? What's the role of society? Where do these two meet? Because if they don't meet, we are very much up some creek without some paddle. So the question now really is, 
collaboration because the dangers we've already seen emerge is the state is acting in many instances. I'm currently looking into this as a point of research, but in many instances, the state is acting as though a state of emergency has been called. Now, a state of emergency gives, in terms of, I think, Section 37 of the Constitution, vast powers to the government to act unilaterally. And and I think everyone can agree that that is sometimes necessary. If you look at war scenarios or or even, you know, a, a scenario similar as this, there is something to be said for the state needing to act quickly on the newest available information. That's very, very important. But then you have to follow process. You cannot sacrifice constitutional democracy and procedure for the expediency of dealing with a problem, because that is just not how liberty or constitutional democracy works. So in terms of making sure that the state, to quote a a former colleague of ours, stay within their lane, you have to make sure that their lane is clearly defined and that we have a lane next to them as the citizenry. Because the first thing we need to understand is if the state is to expand its powers, it will come at the expense of something. The state isn't expanding its powers into a void. It is expanding its powers into your civil liberties. That's the only way for the state to expand in. So that's the first thing we must realize as to why collaboration is important, because your civil liberties are on the line. And these things matter. Too many South Africans have suffered over the last hundred years, suffered and died and fought for these civil liberties that we now enjoy in a codified constitution. For them only now, 30 years in to this new dispensation, be sacrificed because a minister that with a, with a penchant for hats considers alcohol to be a problem. The reality is we need to understand what makes our country work or what doesn't make it work. And part of that is making sure that we have a post-crisis view to look at what are we aiming for and how can we ensure that between now and where we end, our civil liberties remain intact. And that could be as easy as making sure that the military uses its logistics and not its guns to help during this time. What do I mean with that? Well, big commercial actors, small commercial actors, grocery stores, people need to sell their stuff and people need to buy their stuff. But we all understand that the isolation measures now makes buying and selling difficult. So we we think that the military, with its vast logistical capacity, can here be a valuable link between people who need food and people who need to sell food. We can make sure that the military, in terms of its logistical capacity, which in many cases is quite admirable, can work with the citizenry, with your small business, to make sure that the person most vulnerable, most at risk, most isolated, can get their food. Now, that might just sound like a, you know, a, 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 a Fluber Eats, if I can call it that way, or a, a military-sponsored government Uber Eats, but it's not. It is the state and the individual collaborating, making sure that state power is held in check, and we must never forget how important state power is to social security. Let's make our police relatable to their communities. 
Let's make our police those trusted figures that societies generally want them to be. If not now, when? Now is really not the time to look at the expediency. Now is the time to look at the underlying problem because only through addressing that can you actually make the change that will keep this country on a prosperous, progressive, upward, liberal, constitutional, democratic trajectory. Can I, can I just make the point to, to listeners just because of time constraints that the entire report, including the uh, set of recommendations under each section can be found can be found at our website at the irr.org.za. If you go to reports, um, friends in need is the first report there, and you, you can look, you can really look at it, <laughs> dare I say, at your leisure. But you can also find a very insightful analyses in articles on our on our website, the daily uh, daily friend. Particularly, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, no, I think it's, um, you know, maybe as a parting shot in the, in the sort of final minute. Um, Herman, what are some of the things you guys are going to be looking at uh, going forward as the Institute of Race Relations? We're going to be looking at uh, income security. How can we make sure that people, uh, especially workers, and many times in the informal sector, can maintain their income? That's going to be crucial. We're going to look at how can economic activity still be maintained while isolation measures are in place because it's not good enough if we get out of this with a dead economy. We need to make sure that if you can work without placing at significant risk yourself or others in this time of crisis, you need to be able to work. That's important not just to you to earn an income and keep a job, but to people who are dependent on your uh, goods and services. We are going Absolutely. to advise the government on where can they cut the fat? Where can, to quote our colleague Ian Crookshanks, where is the money going to come from? Now is the time to answer that, and the IRR will play a leading role in that. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Mr. Herman Pretorius, who is the Deputy Head of Policy at the IRR. As we come, go to our next ad break. We'll see you after the short break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Guys, welcome back to the IRR show. A major thanks again to Mr. Herman Pretorius from the IRR, who's their deputy head of policy, as he basically talked us through what their um, friends in need report. This is a recent report they've put out that basically looks at this this um, COVID-19 period and the various policy responses that uh, they are arguing are perhaps more ideal in addition to a lockdown. So major thanks to them and the IRR for that uh, chat. And uh, Sarah, as we always do in the final sort of uh, six, seven, eight minutes of the show, um, we look at the news uh, ahead. You know, what should people be keeping an eye on um, on this, the day 12 of the lockdown? I think they're going to be, let's assume it's COVID, COVID and COVID. But under, under COVID, I think we're going to be looking at do we or do we not extend the lockdown? Uh, there are increasing debates on whether the lockdown achieves the flattening of the curve any more than just a sort of precautionary measures without a lockdown. There seems to be evidence that it, lockdown may not make any difference. So I think that debate is going to hot up. Um, 
clearly one of uh, and anything medical any any advance that's medical that that seems to be making a breakthrough will be looked at um there's going to be a lot of pressure and i think a lot of you on where so Ramaphosa is going to jump in this. Is he going to stay, stick with, is he going to go with the Minister of Finance or is he going to stick with the SACP Kasatu and Ace Magashule who want him to, I don't know, sacrifice economy to the greater utopia? And then I guess there'll be, people will be keeping a brief eye on how's Boris. Uh, yes, sorry. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's actually incredibly worrying and, you know, um, Maybe as an aside, uh, it, the issue of a lockdown versus, uh, or rather, let me take a step back. The issue of a one-size-fits-all type lockdown mm-hmm. versus a more nuanced, targeted approach, a public health-led uh, uh, approach mm-hmm. is, I think, the debate that's beginning to rage, um, yeah. not only in South Africa, but across the world. As we now grapple with the specter of, you know, pandemics being something which, you know, I don't think this will be the last one, um, especially given how we had SARS a few years ago and then MERS mm. and, of course, now the COVID strain that is affecting us. In fact, we'll be having that debate and that discussion on the Big Daddy Liberty Show. I'll be back mm. on your airwaves this week. I have been struggling with Internet connectivity, uh, but we're going to be having that debate with various voices from across the world, including some international guests um, who speak to us how, about how, excuse me, they've dealt with the COVID-19 um, pandemic and the crisis. So I do agree with you, uh, Sarah. I still think that COVID will be do- dominating the news cycle. Um, as we head into the sort of final two minutes, a reminder that you can tune into this show every Tuesday at 9 a.m. And uh, the Big Daddy Liberty Show every Fridays at 9 a.m. only on High FM. And, of course, if you like the news, opinion, and analysis that you hear on this show, then find us online at thedailyfriend.co.za. Uh, you can subscribe on there or uh, alternatively listen out to our podcasts that we also put out on a daily basis. Sarah, final word as before we, we say goodbye. Um, other than sort of stay healthy over what is a very significant um, religious sort of week going into the weekend, Pesach and Easter, um, just don't kill your kids. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That piece of advice brought to you by Masara Gan, the wonderful <laughs> half of the show. <laughs> um, and to all of you, the dear listeners, I do echo Sarah's words. Please stay safe, people. Um, if you do go out, please, you know, face masks, hand sanitizers, keep that social distance. Uh, let's look after ourselves as individuals and let's look after our families. You've been listening to the IRR show only on High FM.